listening to Female VC Lab, a podcast that showcases the journeys of female investors. My name is Barbara Bickham, and I am an award-winning CTO and VC that teaches companies and investors about emerging technology. I am sitting down with female VCs and investors to talk about their funds, how they invest, and how they make an impact. Welcome to the Female VC Lab podcast. This is a continuation of my Milk in 2023 series. I have Cheryl here. Cheryl, in one line, give me your name, your title, and where you work. I'm Cheryl Evans. I'm a director of Lifetime Financial Security in MI Finance at the Milken Institute. Thank you, Cheryl, for being here today. What inspired you to become a part of Milken and to lead this financial institute? Yes, the new program inspired me, I think. I've worked for many years, as you saw from my bio, as an attorney. So I was at the Securities mm-hmm. and Exchange Commission, most recently at CFA Institute, the Global Association of Investment Management Professionals. So I put together content and thought about a lot of global finance issues for about nine years and worked at the U.S. Chamber. So I moved from traditional law into the sort of business trade association space and policy space. I'd also done other things at the Department of Justice as well. And so I really wanted to top off my career, if you will, (laughs) doing something that was really impactful. CFA Institute does a lot of good in the world. But Milk and I had been following for a while and saw the position, actually, and knew some people who had been there and was excited about it because I'm also trained as a coach and have a degree in psychology. So this program, which we actually renamed Lifetime Financial Security, like we can talk a little about how broad it is, was really appealing to me, focusing on the work that Milken does to make a difference. And MI Finance focuses on harnessing finance to as a force for good in the world and also making sure the markets are available to those who need them when they need them. So that mission and that ensuring that people are financially secure is really important. And Milken is always a great voice and a convener. So I was excited to join the team. That's wonderful. From Tell me a little bit more about the Lifetime <laughs> financial, financial Security program, program and the motivation behind that program. You're the, the impetus of it. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yes, thank you. And again, thanks. I didn't mention, but thanks for inviting me to join. I'm happy to be here and listen. Thank you, You Cheryl. Appreciate it. Yeah, listen to some of your great podcasts. The program began as mostly focused on retirement security, which people think about. Are people going to be financially secure in retirement? What does that look like? How do you get there? And what are the impediments to that? And we decided to broaden that out a bit to include lifetime financial security. A lot of people in finance and financial firms talk about financial wellness, which is financial education. Are you financially secure? So we broadened that out a bit. I'm just going to look at my list, make sure I'm covering everything. So we thought we want people to be financially secure at all stages of their life, particularly when you get married, when you're in midlife, et cetera, and then leading to a financially secure retirement or work transition period, because we recognize that a lot of people aren't going to retire in the traditional sense, which is one of the reasons why we changed 
that title and the focus, many people won't be able to afford to or want to do something else. And there are a lot of opportunities for gig work or other work or just a transition period. We defined it in our own way, a little more broad than what the CFP board and others define it as. So really thinking about making sure you have set set long-term and short-term financial plans, Mm-hmm. Things like making sure you can absorb a financial shock if you need to. The average person, there's a lot of research on this and stats, but the average person or family, I guess it is, maybe couldn't would have would struggle with paying for an unexpected $400 expense. Now, that's not very high, and that's a little disturbing. So there are a lot of negative stats. But then also making sure you have the funds to pay for adequate housing. Medical care and long-term care is something that mm-hmm. CA, Center for the Future of Aging, has focused on at Milken, the Milken Institute. And then also making sure that you begin to save early. That's a key factor. People really need to begin to save probably earlier, but 25 is what we're really pushing for. When I was 25, I was not looking to save, even though I had just gotten out of law school. It wasn't really in my mind. It wasn't my mindset. And then also making sure you just have that plan for the traditional, the end of your traditional work life. And then really finally overarching that is, is making sure that you can live the life of your choice over time, not one that you're forced to because you don't have enough income. So that's the structure of it. And then we've focused on a number of key areas in that space. And there are a lot of things we can do and talk about in that space. And you saw, I think, the executive summary where we cover a lot of different things. And then we're going to hone in on different aspects, ways that people can be financially secure, what's enhancing that right now, how do we encourage people to save? So what are the enhancements? How do we encourage people to save? And then what's going on with Secure 2.0? What are financial firms doing? And where can we add value in that space is how we're thinking about it. Wow, that's amazing. Such a It's very important, right? Because you think of all the different generations and then how all the generations are migrating. People are getting older. Like you said, now there's more selection. People may not want to retire at the traditional retirement age. So that's actually super fascinating work. Yeah, we're excited about it. And we thought now was it was a good time to launch it because we have an aging population. Baby boomers are coming to be seniors, I think in about five years, most all of them will be. And then also we have increasing lifespan. So there's increases in longevity. And then we noted that COVID had caused many people to refocus. Am I going to be stable? Do I have a job? So we're hoping that now might be a good time to spur action and get people to think about it. And one of the key things, as I said, is getting people to start investing at 25 and really understanding the power of compounding. The example that I uh, put in the paper, it's not in the executive summary, is one that I came up with. We want to give people powerful examples. If you invest in the markets over time, as Jeremy Siegel from Wharton has studied and written for years, stocks for the, in his book, Stocks for the Long Run, the markets are generally going to perform around 7 or 8%. So when you do that math, the average person thinks, oh, if I just invest a small amount, it won't matter. But realistically, but it will time, matter it does. If, yes. if, you do it, if you do it over mm-hmm. 40 years. My example is the coffee example. I don't drink Starbucks coffee, so maybe that was easier. That's what I always say, Starbucks. Yeah, and I don't drink fifty cents now. <laughs> yeah, and I just did the right. I just did the math. I don't drink coffee, and Jerry Seinfeld does a whole thing on this coffee. He doesn't understand it how it works. Mm-hmm. Neither do I when I go in there to order. But I don't know what anything's called, or if I order for someone else, I should say. But in any case, I took the cheapest. I went to their website, three dollars and sixty-five cents for a mm-hmm. cafe latte, which is milk and coffee. You stop doing that five days a week. Started at age twenty-five. By the time you're 65, you would have $192,000. Now, that's just a small example, but it's a powerful one for younger people. 
It's only $3.65. Think of that right now. Five days a week. Yeah. And then you think about the compounding. And then if you can add more, right, then you're compounding more. So that's very interesting. Yes. So we are highlighting that and a number of other things, as you saw. What are the impediments, student loan debt, to getting young people to invest? And then there's racial and gender inequities, which we really want to highlight. And we also, in particular, are highlighting the need for longer working lives. And there's a lot of research that was pretty daunting when I began looking into this. I ended up writing about five or six pages on it for the longer research paper. The average person thinks, as Transamerica has said, Catherine Collinson and others, they're going to work to maybe 65 or 67. But the reality is they're going to probably not make it that long, either due to having a physically demanding job or they Mm -hmm. can't do it anymore physically. And that's something we're focused on. How can we get those people into other roles, training roles? Or they're going to be pushed out of their job due to ages, and we can't ignore that sort of elephant right. in the room. That's true. That's true. A lot of people at 58 or 59 are not going to be able to get another job if they lose their job. And then there's people who have their own health or caregiving responsibilities. So yes. people aren't getting to work as long. And so we need to refocus our, as a society on valuing older workers. What do they bring to the workforce? Yes. Eliminating some of that discrimination that keeps people from getting hired when they could clearly do a great job. And then we also feel like we can add value in the the space of helping people. Like my example is often a paramedic. Maybe they can transition to a training role. Don't 60 is quite hard to be a paramedic physically. So those type of things, people, and the answer is often by the experts that I've interviewed and research that we've done is often work longer if you don't have enough money, but then can you work longer? That's That's a good question. You may not be able to, like you said, it all depends on what you were doing and, do you want to transition into kind of a management role? Some people don't want to do that. No, I mean, they just don't want to do that. No, and but we know that those aren't available. In other words, there's not many of those yes. widespread available for like you're yes. a paramedic. We now have a new role. Mm-hmm. So I'm writing a little about AI. How can that can help to to maybe they can use that and have paramedics for I just use this as an example of a friend yes. who is one be able to trans transition to that. There's there's that ages, and when we focus on DE and I, we don't talk about age much. We talk about women. We talk about racial inequity. Age is a part of it. Age is clearly a part of it, and we see racial and gender inequity gaps in racism, systemic racism, intergenerational wealth transfers that are different that have benefited white Americans. We see women not investing as high a rate as men are coming out of the workforce due to caregiving responsibilities. So women on average have a lot less money, 53% according to Transamerica, the baby boomer women than men, 53% of it, Mm -hmm. of what men have. So that's a factor as well. So there's a lot of different touch points that we want to highlight and then also focus on some of the tech solutions that are out there helping people to and encouraging them to invest. Secure 2.0 was just passed and that had about, I don't know, 25 or 30 different provisions that were helpful it allows one of the couple that we like are it allows people to create an emergency savings plan within a 401k. So you can take out several thousand dollars, twenty five hundred dollars. Some people are investing because they're saying, hey, I don't have enough money to meet my daily needs or mm-hmm. I don't I might need a little bit extra to pay for something I can't mm-hmm. afford to invest. So if they have that ability to do that. It may encourage more investment or SEPs yes. for domestic workers who didn't have access. So there's a lot of people yeah. who don't have access to an investment vehicle. And that's ARPs research that those earning 50,000 and less. Yeah. And below that's 47 million workers according to ARP. Mm-hmm. They, a large percentage do not have access to a retirement investment vehicle. So without that access to a retirement account, 
people are less likely to invest. And the one thing we talked about at our public session, then I'll stop there, was the demise of defined benefit plan. Less people have mm. pensions. The onus yeah. is on the individual to invest. And a lot of people aren't equipped. They don't know about it. They don't fully grasp it. Um, it's not in their wheelhouse. And they may not even want to look at it because they feel like I don't even have enough money to meet my to do anything about that. How can I do that? So we want mm-hmm. to encourage people to invest small amounts. And then lastly, I will I, I will say that we're focused on interesting. I find it interesting biases where people could invest yeah, and yeah. they have certain biases where they yes. don't the loss aversion or that the one that I like to talk about is the inability. We spoke about that on our public panel with Hal Hirschfeld from UCLA inability to envision your future self. When you're young, your future oh, I see self that. far away. Mm-hmm. When I was in my 30s, I didn't think of a 60-year-old version of myself very often. And so we want people, those firms, Tibor Price does something, Hal does something, we helps people to envision, even aging their photos, getting them to recognize that this is you in the future. You mm-hmm. have this to see later. Yeah. You have to save for yourself. So we talk about taking a pay yourself first mindset, envisioning your future self, and really working to connect with the fact that's you and you need to prepare for the older version of yourself. So interesting things. No, thanks, Cheryl. What are you currently learning or listening to or reading these days? Right now, I'm mostly reading these things about finance. I also, on my own, just personally, am focused on climate. And I became a climate advocate through Al Gore's organization, the Climate Reality Project. So I think about what can I do in that space. I feel like my generation made a lot of mistakes. So I feel the burden to pay back a bit in that space. And I just bought Joel Greenblatt's at the Global Conference, a little book that beats the market. And I also bought one of Deepak Chopra's books. And I like him. And just the mindfulness part, I'm focused a bit on on doing some mindfulness work, relaxation work, those kind of things. I'm always, I have a library full of books upstairs in my home office. So I'm always looking at different things. But right now, I'm deep into the finalizing the, the research paper. And I'm always thinking about what's going on in the news in the world. And I will say I'm also focused on a little bit my own reading of Russia and Ukraine. My daughter's from Russia and oh, she's wow. Ukrainian. She's Ukrainian by heritage. Yeah. She was from the border of Rostov when they yeah. invaded Ukraine. So we had a Ukrainian flag out and I did some donations early on. Just small things. It was a way to help. We, they were encouraging people to write to to make appointments at bed and breakfast, but not fulfill them. So the people there got that money. And so I wrote to a number of Ukrainians there and I read about what's going on and follow. But there's not that much we can do for in that space. Right. We're doing what we can do. Yeah, and that's something I could do. That's something yeah. small. That's all you can do, right? You can do yeah. all of what's in your power. So yeah. I was in the Ukraine as well in 2019. So it's like when that was happening, it was very oh, sad. Wow. I was, yeah, so I have been there. I've been to uh, Kiev specifically. Oh, so, so I, yeah, I've just been sad. to Rostov and yeah, and Moscow. It, it, it's tough. It's tough to Um, And I don't want to I don't want us to forget. So I often read about what's going on and it because I have that sort of that connection. But I think I would care anyways, I hope. And (laughs) and when I think about difficulties here or my own, I always compare the bravery of the Ukrainians. It's just we're far afield from finance here, but it's still something that's remarkable. Learning and listening to and reading. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, Cheryl, in two years your platform, how would you define that as a success in two years? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think in in two years, I think that we would like to be writing a bit more. We'd like to put out a few more papers. We're going to have Mm -hmm. several convenings 
but then how do we implement that into action? Yes. And so I think our success is going to be in different areas, but I think we're going to try to measure that by, are we being impactful? Are people listening to what we're saying? Are we able to engage with mm-hmm. experts and the public and get that message out there through op-eds, through writings, through gatherings? And I think we're going to be focused a lot on the inequities piece and the longer working lives piece. And then what can tech do? So getting people to engage with tech. The other thing that Milken is thinking about, and I participated in this, we had a private session on financial fluency. So we're going to help out. I'll be helping out with something that we're going to do in that space. Is it a competition? Is it a phil- mm-hmm. in the philanthropy space? Mm-hmm. So we're going to be working on that as well. But we intend to comment on anything that's out there, but we really want to get into the inequity space, getting people to talk about it, think about it. if we can get people talking about savings more and also presenting to people and gathering people and then reaching out and getting people to engage with all of the tech solutions that are out there. There are many platforms where you can invest in a micro, where the micro investing, where you get mm-hmm. fractional shares. Yeah. So we all feel like we're successful if we start to study people, people's investment behaviors and we see some changes And we facilitate the dialogue to invest early and to think about your future self. And then also working to ensure people have longer working lives and are also thinking about things like, what are my biases that are preventing me from investing? And then lastly, we'll be successful if we can really encourage more and more companies to make sure, and Secure 2.0 does that to a large extent, the state facilitated retirement programs like CalSavers are doing that. If they're more widespread, so we're going to work and highlight those and really push for those kind of plans because we want to make sure everyone has access to an investment vehicle. So that's a really key point and investing early. So we're going to try to be a voice and bring people together. Wonderful. How do people contact you? Yes, they can write to me at cevans, E-V-A-N-S, at milkeninstitute.org. And we love to hear from experts and just the average person, if they want information about investing, a paper is called "Shifting the Retirement Paradigm." Which we will put life. in the we'll put those in the show notes. Okay, so yeah, moving towards not a worry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that will be online, and they can take a look at that. It'll be a longer piece, and uh, happy to hear from people who are interested in engaging with us on this topic, which is quite broad, as you can tell. It covers yeah. many different topics, and there's a lot of touch points where we feel like we can be impactful and be a voice. And, and spur action in this area, because our goal is to make sure that all Americans can live a financially secure life. Even those who think they don't have enough money, if they can just put a little bit away and we can get more retirement vehicles out there through employers, we'll have been fairly successful. So, Thank you so much, Cheryl Evans from yeah. the Milken Institute for being my guest on the Female VC Lab podcast. Thank you so much, Barbara, for having me. I really appreciate it and love talking about this important topic. So thanks a lot. No, thank you. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Trail and Ventures. Find and invest in the next billion-dollar emerging tech company. Sign up for our exclusive content at https colon slash slash trailing, T-R-A-I-L-Y-N dot com to find out more. Find us on Apple, on Spotify, 
and on Google Podcasts. Thank you for listening.